Well, good morning, uh, everybody. This uh, Sunday is a really good Sunday for us. Today, uh, we're sending out one of our pastors and his family and a whole bunch of our friends to be Boulevard Presbyterian Church in the Austin and Oak Park neighborhoods. And our first church plant, Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church, is doing pretty much the same thing this morning. They also are sending a bunch of their friends out to be part of Boulevard Presbyterian Church. And of course, it's a great reminder to know that we are not alone this morning. We are in it with them. And all of us have an eye already on that day when the three of our churches, Covenant and Lincoln Square and Boulevard, will do it again with another round of goodbyes and a fourth church. Um, but that is not what's happening today. Today, uh, after months and months of planning and meeting and praying, we say farewell to these people that we love. And we send them out in mission to a place where they have already been working hard to cultivate a good ground for the gospel to do its work. And I have to tell you, for me, it is, and I'm sure for many of you too, it is the definition of bittersweet. And precisely because that is the case, it's good for all of us to think about why we do it. Why do we do this? Some of us here this morning need to be maybe reminded why we do it. And, and others of us here this morning maybe need to hear for the first time, why do we do this thing? And no matter where you are in that picture, I hope that it is a story, that story of why, I hope it sounds familiar to you. Because it is as simple and as grand as the story of God and his world. And that's our story. That's the story we find ourselves in, um, whether we have ever stopped to recognize it or not. So this morning, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look at two short parables that Jesus told that are in Luke's Gospel. So I'm going to read from Luke 15 for us. And you can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship, or you can follow along in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she is founded, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that as we talk about this word that we have just read together, as we think about it, that those words that we just sung together, we'd find them to be true, that you are our source of true delight, that you are the only place to find true delight that delight which orders every other delight in our lives. Father, meet us in the places where we are this morning, however we feel, wherever we are in faith or out of faith. Show us the grace of Jesus again and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a little story about me and my dad. Um, My dad happens to be sitting right over there this morning. Some of you uh, know that I grew up in Baltimore, um, and even though I have lived in and loved Chicago longer than I lived in Baltimore, um, Baltimore is still a place that I love and I think about it all the time. And one of my favorite places in Baltimore is Little Italy, and one of my favorite places in Little Italy is this restaurant called Sabatino's, or Sab's, as it's known to the locals. And my family would go there uh, from time to time for special occasions. And one New Year's Eve, during my senior year in high school, before I left for college, uh, we went to Sabatino's. We had our New Year's Eve celebration there, and we had dinner. And after dinner, we walked to Vaccaro's for some cannoli. And as we walked, there was this old guy on the street selling some sketches. They were his sketches, and one of them was a scene of the block that we were actually standing on. And at the center of the picture was that restaurant that my family loves so much, Sabatino's. So I saw that sketch, and I bought it. And a few days later, my dad suggested that I should make a frame for it so that it would last. Now, I am definitely not skilled with my hands quite the opposite. In fact, I will never ever be mistaken for a woodworker. Um, But fortunately, my dad is amazing at things like that. So we went to the store together. We bought wood together. Uh, We bought a mat. We had some glass cut to size. And over the next few evenings, my dad and I built that frame together and we mounted the sketch. We, we worked on it together with my dad leading me, with my dad instructing me at every turn. I still have that sketch and I love it. And yes, you know, it's, it's my sketch and I pick the wood and I pick the matting and technically I was the one who put the frame together, but we know the reality is that my dad orchestrated the whole thing. It was his skill, his care, his eye for beauty that made the whole thing possible. And one of the reasons that I love that picture so much 
is because working on it allowed me to enter into that part of who my dad is. I got to share in his life. And I have to say that I think Jesus is saying something very similar to that in these two parables that we just read and heard together. He's telling people like you and me that going out and looking for really important things that are lost is God's life. That's who he is. And Jesus is inviting us to share in God's life. He is inviting us to enter into that part of who our Father is. So before we get to those parables proper, um, we need to pay really close attention to why Jesus told the parables. And Pastor Jeff has already alluded to it in the confession time. Luke, as the writer, sets this thing up beautifully. He says, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And we hear that and we think maybe, wow, that's a tantalizing beginning if there ever was one. This sounds like this is going to be a pretty good story. But of course, we need to remember there was another group of people there that day. And they had a decidedly different spin on that same picture. All they can see is this dubious bunch of ne'er-do-wells who have glommed themselves onto Jesus. And apparently, Jesus is absolutely fine with it. As Luke puts it, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So the scribes and the Pharisees, as you probably know or may know, the, these are the religiously powerful, culturally powerful people of Jesus' day. And because that's who they were, this moment meant a couple of things were true. First, there's, there's no group for whom Jesus' teaching and for whom his ministry is more challenging. I mean, at this point in Jesus' life, he's really pretty far advanced in his ministry in this world. At this point, it's pretty obvious that if what he was saying and what he was doing came with God's authority, then folks like the Pharisees and the scribes were wrong about a lot of things. And that leads to the second thing that's true in this moment, and that is that there were no folks more threatened by Jesus than these groups of people. And I don't mean to say that Jesus threatened them directly. His way of living and being and loving threatened them. I mean, if, if any of them wanted to just drop everything and follow him, they were going to have to walk away from a whole constructed life, a whole house of cards that they were sure was put together the right way. They were going to have to change everything. And so this complaint about Jesus, that he receives sinners, that he eats with them, is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Because Jesus had no problem hanging out with, he had no problem eating with all of the wrong people. Now, when we eat with someone, of course, we're practicing hospitality, maybe even we're practicing friendship. And that was true in Jesus' day, but there was also something much deeper and more powerful than that going on in Jesus' day. Eating with someone was an elaborate way of building and maintaining social and religious boundaries. Eating with someone meant that you agreed with them. 
and that they agreed with you. And by the same token, not eating with someone meant that you didn't agree with them, that you were scrupulously avoiding being tainted by breaking bread with them. That was the custom of the day. The problem, of course, is that Jesus <laughs> did not care about that custom at all. In fact, he aggressively gutted that custom and left it to bleed in the streets. I mean, Jesus would eat with anyone, anyone. It didn't matter if you were insufferably religious like these guys who are complaining to him or if you were hopelessly irreligious like those people that are gathering around him. It just didn't matter. If you made a place at the table for Jesus, he was there. And sometimes he didn't wait for the invite. He was the one who did the inviting. And this practice of Jesus, man, it was infuriating, infuriating to the insiders. How could Jesus claim to be from God and go after and eat with all of the wrong people? How can he do it? So listen, I, I think that Luke 15 is one of the most incredible passages in Scripture. The three stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15, they are full of grace from the top to the bottom. You, you, you should read Luke 15 slowly every day this week. I think it'd be really great for all of us, those who are going to be here next week, those who are going to be at Boulevard Presbyterian Church next week, I think it would be great if all of us read Luke 15 slowly every day this week. The whole thing is filled with grace. And I am pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that one of the greatest graces in the whole thing is what happens after the grumbling. Luke says, so he told them this parable. Church, if we hear these stories in Luke 15 a million times, then let us remember a million times that Jesus told those guys these stories. He didn't tell them to the disciples. He didn't tell them to the sinners and the tax collectors that were all up around him. He told them to those guys standing outside with their arms crossed, shaking their heads and muttering under their breath. He told them these stories and he told them these stories as a gracious invitation for them to come in and join the party that is the kingdom of God. Church, it means that he has not written them off. He hasn't written them off, and so he doesn't just tell them any old story. He tells them the best stories. He tells them the stories about someone going out of their way to find lost things. And you know what, it is, it is good for us to remember, and I put myself at the top of this list of people who need to remember this, it is good for us to remember that sometimes those guys who are grumbling and muttering and shaking their heads are the guys who stand in for us 
in these stories. They are where we find our place in these stories. <laughs> maybe in particular when it comes to a day like today, maybe in particular when it comes to the notion of mission, right? When we are in the place of wanting to prefer the status quo, when we would much rather keep things exactly the way that they are, when we would not like to shake things up, when we want to keep all of our resources right here, thank you very much, when we don't want to say goodbye to our friends and all of their wonderful creativity and smarts and talents, when we don't want to say goodbye, we are swerving really close to being those guys. And so I need to hear Jesus out. And maybe you do too. So these two stories that Jesus tells, the ones that we read together, they're both structured in the same way. Jesus introduces the main characters, and then he invites the people listening to imagine themselves in the same plight. First, Jesus says, imagine being a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and you get home at the end of your shift, and you realize that you've lost one of the sheep. What are you going to do? What would you do? Or imagine, Jesus says, that you're a woman, you're a poor woman, and you've got 10 coins to your name, and you realize you've lost one of them. What are you going to do? What will you do in that moment? The point that Jesus is making about the main character in both of these stories is this. They have suffered a loss which is worth doing something about. And Jesus knows that everyone who is listening to him would agree. So what do you do? What do you do if you're a shepherd who's lost one of your sheep? Well, for Jesus, it's obvious. You leave the 99 safely in the open country, and you go out after the one that's lost. And when you find it, you lay it on its shoulder, your shoulders, and you go back home rejoicing. What do you do? If you're a poor woman who lost a tenth of her savings, well, to Jesus, it's really obvious. You light a lamp and you sweep the house like crazy and you search diligently until you find that thing. In other words, people who have lost something important go after them. They try to find it. And this is where the really strange stuff starts to begin in these stories. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be a sheep herder to imagine how entirely reasonable and sensible Jesus' story is right up until the very end, at which point it goes completely off the rails. I mean, Jesus says, so this shepherd, this shepherd, this regular guy, he gets home maybe in the middle of the night, maybe at the next morning, maybe in the middle of the afternoon, who knows? He gets home, this guy, and he calls together his friends and his neighbors to rejoice with him. Can you imagine the scene? He comes back home to the village and he says, hey, everybody, I don't care what you're doing. Listen, I lost one little sheep. Come to the party at my place. Imagine the response. All right, we'll be there in a minute. I don't know why you're so worked up. This is the best shepherd. <laughs> he is the most ridiculous shepherd in the history of shepherds. He is absurd. 
But I can't lie, I would love an invite to his party. But you know, that is mild, <laughs> that is a mild absurdity compared to this beautiful woman that Jesus tells us about. I mean, this woman is poor. Her entire life savings is equivalent to about 10 days pay. 10 days, that's her safety net, such as it is. So of course, she turns the place upside down looking for it, but what does she do when she finds it? She calls all of her friends and neighbors and tells them in the middle of whatever they're doing, stop what you're doing and come to my house and rejoice with me. Come to my party, because this coin that I lost, I found it. I mean, how irresponsible can this woman possibly be? What sense does it make for her to throw a party? In what world does it make sense for her to spend even the teeniest, tiniest little bit of this money that she has just gone nuts looking for to throw a shindig for her neighbors? In what world does that make sense? Well, I'll tell you, church, the only world that it will ever make sense in, the kingdom of God. And that's the punchline to both of these stories. <laughs> Jesus says it two different ways in case we miss it. <laughs> Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need a thing. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, listen to me, there is joy before the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. That is the kind of party that you want to get in on. You want the invite to that party. And so with the telling of these two stories, with the punchline of these two stories now laying out there, Jesus has made it clear these stories, man, they're not really about unbalanced shepherds. They're not really about nutty widows. These stories, they're about God. Jesus wants everyone who can hear him. And in particular, those guys with their arms crossed, shaking their heads and muttering under their breath, he wants everyone who can hear him to know this is what God is like. He is the God of the pursuit. He goes after lost things. And when he finds us, the music of heaven begins and the angels tremble with joy. Look around you, Jesus says. Look at what you are seeing. Look around you. This is why I hang out with all the people that you think are wrong. This is why I eat with all the people you wish I wouldn't eat with, because I am out looking for lost sheep, and they're at the party. And so church, this is the first invitation of those parables, not just to the guys with their arms crossed, muttering, shaking their heads. This is the first invitation of these parables for us, for our church. Jesus is inviting us to know or to know again what God is really like. He is the shepherd of the lost. He is the searching, seeking God of the pursuit. He does not quietly wait for you to come to him. He goes after you. 
and he will go to any length to give you absolutely everything. And when he finds you, he offers you real, tangible things that have been secured by his death and resurrection and ascension. When he finds you, he gives you everything. The forgiveness of sins and restoration and hope in this broken world and peace and meaning in life and a place in his family. Church, this is the God of the Christian faith and some of us, we need to hear it again and go, yes, that is who it is and I believe it. That is who he is. And maybe there's some of us here this morning who need to hear that and go, for the first time, I believe it. I believe that's who he is. And that leads us to the second invitation of these parables for us as a church. Jesus told them, of course, to explain why he was doing what he was doing. And it's a very simple, very clear explanation. I'm doing what my father does. <laughs> I am sharing in the life of my father. And he is asking us to join him in the party. These stories are invitations to follow Jesus as a church into that same kind of life, a life that is joyfully given over to the good and the pursuit of others in mission. I say this a bunch, and I say it a bunch because I don't feel like I can hear it enough or any of us can hear it enough. If we follow Jesus, we will follow him into mission because that's where he is. That is where we will find him in this broken world. So if we want to follow him, we will walk right behind him into mission. And church, that is what we have been made for. And that is why we are here. We have been made to reflect the gracious and peaceable rule of God in this world. We have been made to reflect the peaceable kingdom of God everywhere, to make it present everywhere. We have been made, it is our vocation in this world to be outposts in this broken world of the better place that is Jesus. So, that's why we say goodbye. That's why we let a bunch of our money and our resources and our talent and our skill and our hard work right, walk right out that back door with no strings attached. That's why our friends who are about to leave us go. They're about to leave what is settled and what is certain for what is unsettled and unsure. And that's why we let them go with clear, happy hearts that are also sad. <laughs> because when we do this, we are following Jesus into the life that we have been made for. And church, there is nowhere else I would ever, ever want us to be. And here is the deep beauty of it that is surprising every time and always true. When we respond in faith and we go, 
or when we respond in faith and send with open hands, we are actually being like God himself. We are joining in his life. I got to enter into my father's life when we worked together, even if it was for just a short period of time. And Jesus is saying, this is the promise for us. When we go and when we send, we enter into the life of the Father. We share the life of the Father and we find our home and we find our rest and we find our meaning in this world because we are finally connected to the true story of the world. Because the God who sends is most fully revealed and most beautifully known in Jesus as the God who also went. It cost him a lot. It cost him everything. But no price is too great for lost things. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to have ears to hear and that we would believe, that we would believe that you are really like that shepherd who comes home and asks his neighbors to come to a party because of one sheep. And that you're really like this woman who spends some of what she has, which is very little, to throw a party for something that's been found. Father, help us to see this and to have ears to hear it and to believe it and to enter into that life. Father, help us to do this for our good and for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.